Hello, listeners. I'm going to be completely honest. It's been a struggle to record these episodes lately due to all of the news that is in the world. Obviously, everything that was going on with Harvey Weinstein and the recent revelations opening up almost daily about another celebrity facing harassment charges. From Kevin Spacey to Brett Ratner and more each day. This news and gossip is just muddying the waters in Hollywood. It's going to be really interesting to see how all of this shakes out when we have the Golden Globes and then, of course, the Oscars next year. The Oscars tend to get very political often, and we're in a very political climate. And like I said, it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this negativity in Hollywood is going to transfer over to the awards season. Because it's really weird. Because all people can associate with Hollywood right now is who's going to be next. What story is going to come out of this? Because it's just right now terrible. On the bright side, there's a lot of interesting news about upcoming movies and movies that are coming out next year. We have Star Wars Fever gearing up with the new extended TV spots coming out for uh, The Last Jedi. Thor Ragnarok has had its premiere and is performing very strongly. Uh, Justice League was just released this last weekend, and it's performing poorly as far as the DCEU goes. It's reached about maybe 96 million opening, which is one of the lower opening box offices that the DCEU has ever faced. But as far as Oscars go, it's really another story this year. We are now at the tail end of November. Usually around this time, at least one frontrunner has emerged, or we have a modicum of an idea of the films that will be making waves. But here we are. I'm recording this on November 18th, and we still have no idea. The largest movie so far that's come out has been Christopher Nolan's epic Dunkirk, which was released back in July, and whose momentum has kind of fizzled out. Sure, Christopher Nolan made an appearance at the Toronto Film Festival, which helped keep it in the fray. And I think that Warner Brothers is definitely gearing up to mount a campaign, because it's a pretty big prestige film, no pun intended. And it's in fact getting a re-release. Next month, in December, Dunkirk will be re-released in hopes to be remembered this Oscar season because, as, as I've recognized, and more importantly, as industry officials have recognized, this is a very different kind of awards season. Warner Brothers also has Wonder Woman and Blade Runner 2049, They are already attempting a campaign with Wonder Woman, which might have some clout, considering the movie's success both box office-wise 
and as a cultural milestone as well. But Dunkirk could be the big contender for the studio. I'm sure they're anxious this year to recover from last year's Affleck-directed Live by Night and Clint Eastwood's Sully. I still don't understand why Dunkirk didn't come out later in the year when it was first announced. I assumed it would. And if Nolan could have done it in October, I think that would have been perfect. But because... Honestly, as far as the month of October goes, it was one of the poorest performing months of the year. The lowest October in a decade. Looking back as the year started off pretty strong with box office hits like Beauty and the Beast and a strong word of mouth showings with uh, Get Out and Split. Then things cooled off rather quickly with a string of sequels and would-be franchises like King Arthur and the, the Legend of the Sword. That was the Charlie Hunnam, Jude Law one. The Rock and Zac Efron's Baywatch and Tom Cruise's The Mummy, which was supposed to launch the Dark Universe for Universal and which instead almost killed it. And so for it, it's resulting in a very low and underwhelming summer, is what we had. There was the, the, the fall that came around, and now that we're in the fall, things aren't really looking any better. It dominated September, and October had very little to offer. There was the My Little Pony movie, which has already been forgotten. Another... Tyler Perry Medea Halloween movie, another Saw film, Geostorm, Suburbicon, which at one time seemed like an Oscar contender, but was shut out during festival season, and lastly, Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049, which managed to do well with critics, and I still think it's going to be the, quote, Mad Max of the year as far as technical awards go, but it failed to have a big showing at the box office. And honestly, as someone who is a fan of the original Blade Runner, I'm not surprised, because that sentence I just said, a fan of the original Blade Runner, isn't that common. Blade Runner is a very niche, neo-noir film, that has a cult following, but even the first one didn't make a lot of money. It's not Star Wars. It, it's another Harrison Ford role. It's a very, if you've seen the film and thinks it's an iconic Harrison Ford role, but it's no surprise that the sequel to a cult film didn't receive a great box office, despite throwing Ryan Gosling and, Ryan, and Robin Wright and Jared Leto and other actors in there, it failed to get the money that they probably wanted. But seriously, this is so weird. I know I probably shouldn't care as much as I do. I get that. My wife makes fun of me for it constantly, and that's okay. I can deal with it. But my passion has no bounds. This is my life. It's movies. And 
it's really strange to be in the end of November, we're gearing up for Thanksgiving, and not have any idea of what's going to happen. This time last year, Damien Chazelle's La La Land had already come out, and the conversation of La La Land and Moonlight was beginning to bubble up. Moonlight, of course, in people's minds as a long shot, but La La Land was doing very well, and it was emerging as an obvious frontrunner. But honestly, this year, we have nothing. Looking back at the festival season, which of course is the best place to start with all of this, the winner from Toronto was three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which was awarded with the People's Choice Award. So, if we had to pick out our frontrunner right now, it's three billboards. Maybe The Shape of Water, which has also been lauded and praised by critics. It's undetermined now since the movie isn't released until December, but with the critical reception, it's doing very well, and I wouldn't be surprised if Guillermo got nominated for it. So what I thought I would do for this episode is now that we are less than a month away from the Golden Globe nomination announcements, which are usually around announced mid-September, also the time when Oscar movies are due by or, uh, December, not September. And I thought I would break down each of the categories and just run through them to see where they stand. Not all of the categories, but the, the biggest ones that will have the most influence, which are Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Actor, Supporting Actor, and Supporting Actress. Obviously, screenplays thrown in there as well, and I'll, I'll discuss that as well. Another interesting note, of course, is that this could all change, and probably will change in a couple weeks. When the nominations are announced, we already have the nominations for the Gotham Awards, uh, which are more indie-focused rather than commercial or mainstream. For example, like Dunkirk would never be nominated for a Gotham Award, um, whereas we have uh, Call Me By Your Name, which has been in talks for the entire year, which is no surprise. It was a Sundance hit. And also The Florida Project, which is already amassing a very loyal fan base. Get Out, which is seeming to be the breakout hit of the year and a surprise for everyone. We could possibly see Oscar chance for that, and that would be amazing. The best chance I think that Get Out has for the Oscars is with screenplay and potentially uh, best act, uh, act, not actor, um, best picture as well. Because it's it has that fan base, but it's a really well written film and it's a very important film it has a important message now it seems like forever since it came out which it almost was the beginning of the year in february but the fact that it's still getting traction and the fact that it got nominated by the gotham awards and again the gotham awards vote by committee but the fact that it got this kind of attention this late in the game is really sending a message that 
Get Out is a movie that's to be taken seriously. It's a movie that is still remembered and is obviously still praised. So the fact that Get Out can have Oscar chances is looking far more likely, which is amazing, not just for Jordan Peele in breaking out of his Key and Peele phase and being recognized as um, a legitimate, powerful director, but for the horror-thriller genre as well, which isn't as recognized by the Academy. So it would be amazing to see that. Uh, Good Time with Robert Pattinson is also part of the Gotham Awards talks, and which has been around for a while. And that's another film that received interesting talks because of Robert Pattinson, who, of course, is known for his Twilight roles. But this film is said to be a lot bigger than that, that he's breaking out of that mold. And lastly, I, Tonya, which had a huge breakout during the festival season and is now beginning its campaign with the trailer being released and um, other tr- and a second trailer being released. It, it's receiving a lot of marketing. So uh, skipping over Best Director, let's look at Best Actress list first. Now it's really interesting this year, obviously because of the Harvey Weinstein thing, and I think in the wake of that, there's a lot of attention that will be paid toward the female roles, especially strong female performances, as cliche as that phrase is becoming. The biggest example of that that I can think of right now is Frances McDormand in Three Billboards, because it's a film that epitomizes that anger that a lot of women are feeling right now. Another role in that that's doing remarkably well is uh, Victoria and Abdul, which is a Stephen Frears old lady movie, kind of in the vein of uh, Philomena. And it's it, it's released in, in a lot more of the, the indie theaters, but it's having a lot of commercial success. And things like Judy Dench is, you know, a strong actress, and so we don't counter out this early. Besides Francis, another strong performance that's making waves is Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Saoirse Ronan in Lady Bird, and Jessica Chastain in Molly's Game, all three of which have made impressive debuts earlier this year. And another film that came out of the circuit and is poised for that consideration, doing a remarkably good job at sticking its landing, is that Tanya Harding movie, I, Tanya. The, the fact that this it's getting this huge marketing push from this little-known studio, Neon, that bought the rights to it, is it's incredible. And Margot Robbie is certainly joining this conversation. And lastly, with actress, we have the queen herself, Meryl. Her film with Spielberg, The Post, isn't due out until late December, and promotional materials have begun to add fuel to the fire that already is the prestige Spielberg. On the heels of a trailer which premiered a couple weeks ago, Entertainment Weekly has some production stills, and it's really gearing up to be exactly what we thought it would be, and almost really exactly what 
our audiences need right now, which is a film about the importance of journalistic integrity. Moving on to Best Actor. This is another category that, for all intents and purposes, is is completely unfair this year. It's not unfair in the sense of the nominees, just that it seems rather bland. Since last November, it's been the same thing. Gary Oldman. It's like the year that Leo won for The Revenant. The biggest difference with Oldman, however, is that there's no other performance this year that has garnered as much praise and positive recognition from critics. Perhaps Daniel Day-Lewis's supposed last performance in P.T. Anderson's Phantom Thread could rival Oldman. The trailer premiered last month, and I don't know, it could be interesting. It's a film about a dressmaker who falls for a younger woman, I think. I don't know, it has that unique quality, but then again, P.T. Anderson movies aren't really known for their surface appeal. They tend to dwell more in the pathos of the character and have a deeper understanding, and so it's it might not just be about a dressmaker who falls for a younger woman. There's probably some other controversy and drama surrounding it, but we'll see. But even then, Daniel Day-Lewis is a well-known actor. The Academy does like him, and if this really is his swan song again, it might, could be an interesting way for the Academy to honor him. Along with Daniel Day-Lewis, another uh, perennial staple in the Oscar community, could make his mark as well. Tom Hanks, who co-stars with Meryl Streep in Spielberg's The Post. Having watched the trailer and seen some interviews with it, they seem to be gearing the film and the promotion more heavily in the direction of Meryl Streep's character and placing Hanks in a more supporting role. But it really could go either way if the slate is still this empty come voting period. Other possibilities for Best Actor include Timothy Chalamet in Call Me By Your Name or even Andrew Garfield in Breathe. All right, let's get away from the Best Actor category for a bit and move on to something that's a lot more interesting, Supporting Actress. For the first half of the year, it was looking as if Mary J. Blige could step out and emerge contender for her role in Mudbound which had its premiere at Sundance and is now available to watch on Netflix and seems to be doing very well. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, honestly, because it lost its momentum. It lost its speed, and I lost my interest. However, it never really evolved into anything, and once The Big Sick came out, it stole everyone's hearts. Belijah's performance became eclipsed by Holly Hunter's honest and true portrayal of a grieving mother. Hunter has stayed in the forefront, but once again, looks to be being shown up by two other dynamic actresses. The first being Laurie Metcalf in Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird, and the second, who is the current frontrunner right now, that is... Allison Janney 
as Tanya Harding's mother in I, Tanya. Now, Janie has amassed an impressive amount of support for her role, and she is beyond due for it. With the resurgence of the West Wing in our current political climate and her role on the CBS show Mom, Janie is certainly making her mark. Other supporting roles that might have a shot at sneaking in at the last minute are Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water, Melissa Leo in Novitiate, another Sundance breakout, and a bevy of supportive wife roles with Kristen Scott Thomas in Darkest Hour, Andrea Risebro in Battle of the Sexes, and Claire Foy in Breathe. So it's anyone's guess as far as supporting actress, but it's going to be really interesting to see who the nominees become. All right, and lastly, moving on, we have Best Actor. Now, this field is ripe with talent and also ripe with so many fresh faces. Fresh as far as Oscar consideration goes, many of these actors have been working for a long time but are now finally given their due. The two biggest names being discussed right now are two veteran actors with impressive filmographies who have made an indelible impression this year. First is Sam Rockwell, who has made an impressive career for himself, mostly in smaller supporting roles. He did have a starring role in the George Clooney-directed Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which was the Chuck Berry semi-autobiographical story. And he always somehow manages to steal the show in whatever role he's in, from Galaxy Quest to The Green Mile, even Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And one of my personal favorite, as the steam ceiling rival, tech magnet Justin Hammer to Tony Stark in the ill-fated Iron Man 3. Rockwell currently stars in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, as a vindictive, racist, immature cop who is unwillingly placed in the middle of a battle between a grieving mother and the police whom she blames for her daughter's disappearance in the sense that they're not really doing anything, so she's yelling at them on billboards. And Rockwell has received a lot of attention for his role and looks to be irreplaceable as a top contender this year. Now, an interesting tidbit here, Rockwell is also set to play former President George W. Bush in Adam McKay's Dick Cheney biopic next year. So he's already expanding his range. The next actor fighting for that top spot is another well-known character actor, and that is Willem Dafoe. Now, Willem Dafoe has been in everything, every type of movie. He's played every type of role from the Green Goblin in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man to his collaborations with Wes Anderson in The Life Aquatic and Fantastic Mr. Fox and The Grand Budapest Hotel. This year, Defoe is receiving rave reviews for his role in Sean Baker's indie film The Florida Project, in which Defoe plays the manager-slash-pseudo-father figure for a group of kids who reside in a hotel in Florida. It's a step away from what Defoe has usually played, and 
he has a presence that's more somewhat menacing, commanding on a screen. So to see him step into a more nurturing role is something that he's getting a lot of attention for. And it's one that he seems to be doing very well. Now, other names that might be tossed around as far as best actor go are Army Hammer in Call Me By Your Name, Michael Stuhlbarg also from Call Me By Your Name, previous winner Mark Rylance for his role in Dunkirk, Richard Jenkins and Michael Shannon for The Shape of Water, and a few others that might break out later are Ben Mendelsohn with The Darkest Hour, Idris Elba and Kevin Costner in Molly's Game, and Bob Odenkirk in The Post. Now lastly, there is another Dark Horse possible Best Supporting Actor contender, and that is Christopher Plummer in All the Money in the World, the Ridley Scott film about uh, the, the Getty kidnapping of the young Getty grandson. Now, it's really interesting that he could get that nomination because this movie is already facing a lot of controversy. The, the, the role that Christopher Plummer is playing is the grandfather of John Paul Getty III, I believe he is. And the role was originally assigned to Kevin Spacey. Um, however, after all of the allegations came out against him, he was replaced he was replaced at the last minute by Christopher Plummer and um, the the main actors, Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams and um, all the other actors in the movie agreed to reshoot all of Kevin Spacey's scenes using Christopher Plummer. Now, this is expensive. It is lengthy. However, Ridley Scott is adamant that his film be released so it is being released on December 22nd still falling within the Oscars guidelines and if Christopher Plummer manages to outperform Kevin Spacey then we could possibly see a nomination for him as well which would be amazing because I don't know if this has ever happened before but it would be momentous so that'll do it for this week's episode of the Film Buff Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. And as always, have a great day.